listening to Out of Line with Kat Pullen, where I interview those who innovate, deviate, and create their own path. Today I'm talking with my friend Michelle Icard. Well, okay, not today. This interview happened like six weeks ago, embarrassingly enough, and I'm just now getting around to being able to uh, publish it, but my life has been a little crazy, which... I just need to accept it's always going to be crazy, so I hope to keep up with a weekly routine of a podcast, but at this point, I'm just not sure. So just bear with me, roll with me, and when I produce them, I produce them. So there you go. Anyways, back to Michelle. Um, She's my friend, and she is an author, and she just recently published a book called 14 Talks by Age 14. The essential conversations you need to have with your kids before they start high school. And she also wrote the book Middle School Makeover. So you could say she is the expert on all things middle school development. I've known Michelle for years. We connected through a writing group called Yeah Write, which if you listen to my interview with another author, Christy Tate, also how we met. So lots of good connections happening there. But uh, I've always been a fan of Michelle and her work, but um, it feels especially pertinent to my life right now as I am raising a middle schooler. And I think if you are in that position as well, raising a middle schooler, or um, you have a child that's younger, you need to be paying attention to those years ahead or if you know somebody who is in this position uh, or lucky enough to be raising a middle schooler, definitely um, send this podcast their way, listen to it yourself, and check out Michelle's work. I really enjoyed this conversation with Michelle. She's incredibly smart. She's warm. She's funny. And um, I just wish we lived closer so we could just hang out and be best buddies all the time. Um, but either way, I am grateful to have her in my circle and I think you'll enjoy getting to know her as well. So let's pretend I don't know you and tell me all about yourself. (laughs) Oh, wait. Okay. Nope. First, I'm going to ask a question that I learned the hard way with my last interviewee. I did not know how to pronounce her last name. I don't know if I know how to pronounce your last name and my head. Okay. It's Eichard. Eichard. Okay. Yeah. I think I was saying a card in my yeah. head. <laughs> I was just on a podcast where the person was like, and Michelle Card. And I was like, totally French. And I was like, I, I wish, but now it's Eichard. Eichard. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We ha- I, ha- I know some Eichards, but around here, and it's oh. E I C H A R D. That kind of makes more sense phonetically. So, anyways. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay, I will have to re- retrain my brain. So tell me all about Michelle Eichard. Sure. So um, you want, where do you want me to start? The very, very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> give me, your, give me your, your elevator speech, just a little blip. Yeah. I started doing the work I do about 15 years ago, and, and that is working with middle schoolers and their families and schools, really with the intention of making middle school less stressful for everyone involved, less full of anxiety, a little more forgiving, and and hopefully a lot more fun. Because I think there's a lot of excitement and wonder and, um, and joy in the middle school years that we societally often overlook because we're just like, ugh, middle school, I hated it. It's gonna be terrible for my kid. I just wanna get through it. So my, uh, my whole goal here is trying to shift the lens through which we look at these really important three years of a person's life. Mm-hmm. So you felt like middle school was just being, being overlooked, and that's why you decided to focus in specifically on that age group? Yeah, and not just overlooked, but maligned. Oh, yeah. Like people just saying, it, it's the worst. You know, I hate middle school. And, and um you know, I I love the movie Mean Girls. I love the book that was the basis for the movie Mean Girls. But this idea of Mean Girls really caught on societally. And it became this um, very unforgiving way of looking Mm -hmm. at girls in particular. And I work with girls and boys. 
But I think middle school gets a bad rap and I think middle school girls get a particularly bad rap. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I wanted to just change the way that we think about those things. Yeah. Do you think, do you think some of that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy too? I absolutely do. I, I can't remember what culture it is and I really should look this up, but there is a culture that does not use the term terrible twos and they have far fewer problems with two-year-olds than we do in this country where it's like you go to see your pediatrician and they're they're like, oh, you're heading right into the terrible twos. So brace yourself because it's going to be tantrums and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I think to your point, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. We think that was the worst year ever. Mm-hmm. And then it happens again in middle school. And we think this is going to be just terrible. We set ourselves up for failure in many ways. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed too, um, I feel like we just, we just taper down in parenting. So like when I was pregnant, I read all the books. Yeah, I absorbed all the information. I was in all the groups. And then as your kids get older, <laughs> I don't know if we're just worn out or you have other kids come along, but you just stop learning about their development and their age. That's why um, when I read your first book, I was blown away. I'm like, why, why didn't I know this stuff? And then I felt guilty. Like I haven't been paying attention, but I also think it's just not there. Those resources just aren't there. You're right. When I tried to publish my first book, I approached a ton of agents and a ton of publishers and the feedback I kept getting was too small of a niche and no one else is talking about this. Therefore, no one could be interested in this. So we're going to pass. And I ended up with a tiny little hybrid publisher out of Boston. Um, They were great to work with. They believed in the project. Um, I kept saying like, but it's evergreen. Like you're getting a new crop of readers every, every year, a new group is coming into middle school. But um, but that's sort of the janky thing about book publishing is if, mm-hmm. if it's a, a brand new idea, no one likes it because it's untested. Mm-hmm. So you're right. There were very few resources about middle school. And I was lucky enough to land on that little publisher. They've mm-hmm. since gone defunct. Um, but the good news is I had success with that first book. And that led me to a much bigger publisher for the second mm-hmm. book for the same audience. So it's funny how things work. Yeah. Um, so I want you to talk to me a little bit about the research that went into your book. So uh, do you study the Enneagram at all? No. And okay. so, um, I want to know more about it because you're <laughs> the second person to ask me about it. <laughs> so I really think you'd be fascinated by it if you like knowing how the brain works. And it's, yeah. it's one of the personality types, but it's very ancient. And it's the one I have found I most identified with when I when I realized like kind of like the downsides of being, I'm an Enneagram four, which is like the individualist and the creative, the romantic. When I heard, when I saw the downsides of being that personality type and bullet points, I was like, Oh my God, that's me. Like you see your shadow side almost. But anyways, I'm moving into more five wing, um, which means I'm really into knowledge. Like I want to know everything about everything. So I'm totally geek out on podcasts, like hidden brain, um, you know, knowing how the brain works and like the ologies podcast about everything about science. So in your books, when I'm hearing about the way the brain works for middle schoolers, I'm fascinated by how much research that must have taken you. And, you know, where did you get your information? Sure. Uh, I, I also love research and not knowing anything about this system that you're describing. I feel instantly drawn to that knowledge branch yeah um it mixed with the creativity branch Mm -hmm. I'm assuming there's something like that repped there Mm -hmm. but um the way that I work in terms of research is first I just think anecdotally like in the work that I do I work with tons of parents and tons of middle schoolers and so what I'm a person who loves trends and I love Mm -hmm. observing for trends so um I spend a lot of time just kind of marinating in, it seems like people are talking a lot about X, Y, or Z, Mm -hmm. or this fear keeps cropping up over and over again. So that's how I decide what I want to research just by observation. And then I do sort of a deep dive into whatever area interests me. But what I try to do is look in really unexpected places. So for example, there's a chapter in the book where we're talking about um, communication with a kid and I describe it as um, 
sort of being like a hostage negotiator. And so I just looked up FBI skills for mm -hmm. hostage negotiation, because I think that there are parts of the world that are completely unrelated to parenting that are completely beneficial to parenting. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I go, I do the normal, you know, Google in research studies on how teens perceive motivation, how mm -hmm. teens react to positive enforcement versus discipline. I do all that stuff. And I look at studies and I find them interesting, but what they tend to do is give you a good understanding of what's happening in a teen brain and not a good next step. Yeah. So, so then you could be like, okay, I understand that a, from some of the research that I did, that a child's brain development affects how they understand the concept of fairness. And initially, kids see fairness as equality, equal resources, equal time, equal attention. And then as they get older, the, um, the brain sort of like rearranges, for lack of a better scientific term at the moment. And they begin to understand fairness as a reflection on a person's intention. Mm -hmm. So like, were they actually trying to do the right thing by giving that person over there more cookies than me, because that person over there is hungrier than I am. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So they can, they can get there. So, um, so I love the research and then I hate that the research stops and it doesn't mm -hmm. tell you what to do. So then what do you do as a parent of a kid who's 12 and is always complaining that things aren't fair because their sibling gets more than them or something. And, and that's where the book kind of like gets juicier. Yeah, no, I, I think it's great. And I was just thinking about, um, all the research and to me I'm like envious of people who get to who get to just research things just for the yeah. sake of knowledge so I think that was great and I you know hearing more about how the middle school brain works it's made me question my own brain I'm like I don't know if my brain's fully developed because like, <laughs> you know because like I struggle a lot with you know my therapist calls it my lizard brain like the, the amygdala and um you know as far as just your emotions taking over your logic and I think, I think that was great. I think it's really important to explain that versus just jumping right into the strategies and steps. So, um, okay. Yeah. And, and that we should explain it to our kids. Oh yeah. That, okay. That, that's a good, that's a good. Another uh, next question too, is how much should you explain that part to your kids? I mean, you don't want to overwhelm them, but I know I was glad to know how my brain works. I mean, I imagine they would be too. I completely think that they are <clears throat> fascinated and it removes the emotionality, which as you talked about with lizard brain, like this, mm -hmm. um, some of us are just highly emotional and you're right that kids who are younger tend to be heavily focused on that part of the brain, mm -hmm. um, on purpose. It's because we want them sounds counterintuitive. We want kids that age to start taking more risks. Mm. It's the only way that kids that age will, um, care enough to get good grades so that mm -hmm. they can move out of your house and get a job. <laughs> it's, so like risk taking really, um, really is a high priority for kids this mm -hmm. age and risk taking has to feel good. And so the emotional part of the brain is really super excited at this age. Mm -hmm. And the critical thinking part of the brain is not because that's the part of the brain that would be like, eh, we don't ever need to move out. We don't pay rent. <laughs> we have all of our snacks mm -hmm. and Xbox. So what would be the point of taking a risk and getting a driver's license or getting mm -hmm. a job or getting good grades? So um, yeah, I think that kids should know how their brains work in the exact same way that you would want to explain how their bodies work. Or, um, you know, if you're someone who's spiritual, who wants to talk about like heart and soul and all of that, there's no need to deny a kid any of that information. And if anything, I think it makes them feel comforted because there are so many times in a kid's and in an adult's life when you just can't explain how you feel. You mm -hmm. just are so... It's irrational. And I mean, just this week, I was saying to my husband, like, I don't get it. I'm just so cranky and moody and I have no reason to be and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it feels good to be able to express that and talk about it naturally and normally. So I encourage families to read the book and share those pieces with their kids. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So talk to me about that a little bit specifically. You're talking about sharing the resources. Um, Cause that is one thing I was interested in doing is signing up for your upcoming conference you're having on the yeah. 20, 28th, right? March 28th, Wait, March 28th. Right.
Womp womp. Sad trombone. Obviously recorded this a while ago. It is past March 28th. I did not get to attend the conference as much as I wanted to. Had too much going on, but looks like there's one coming up in September. So check out Michelle's website, michelleicard.com. I'm going to go ahead and leave this next part in about the upcoming virtual conference because um, even though her next conference is supposed to be in person, it may have to go virtual instead. And I also think it just had some really interesting insight um, about her conferences in general. Okay, so talk to me about what type of resources you offer to get engaged with your kids around this book. Great. Okay. So March 28th is such an exciting day. I have been running mother-daughter conferences in person for years and years now. I mean, we've probably had um, 20 of these conferences with two, two a year and they sell out every time. We have 200 people in the audience. It is a celebration of the mother-daughter relationship in middle school, which is often fraught, which often has a lot of you know fear and anxiety and distancing and all that kind of stuff. But it's a three-hour afternoon event, and during that time, I will say, this time it's virtual because, of course, we're still in the pandemic, although, thank goodness, it feels like we're nearing the end. People are yes. getting vaccinated. It's just such a happy time right now. There's hope. Fun fact, and one I could not have stated when I did this interview, is that I am now vaccinated. Not quite past my two-week window from my second shot but I'm very grateful to have had the opportunity to be vaccinated. But it's not quite safe yet. So um, we're doing this one virtually. And the joy of that is that people all over the country can sign up. What I notice when we are in the same room together, and I know that this, this will carry over to the virtual conference, is that the moms bring their daughters in and the daughters are like stiff as a board, mad at their moms, <laughs> like... What yes. have you signed me up for on a Sunday afternoon? And by the end of the three hours, I am moved to tears every single time. Daughters are crawling into their mom's lap. They're in their mom's hair while they sit there. It, it is a, a quick three-hour journey of establishing a common language, establishing some goals mm -hmm. together, really ensuring each other that you're on the same team. And it's done through lots of activities and humor and we have guest speakers and we have high schoolers who will mm. talk about like, this was my most embarrassing moment in middle school. And here's how I got over it. And here's how you can if it happens to you. So um, there's plenty of information about it on my website, but I, I hope you'll come and I hope lots mm -hmm. of people will come because it's going to be fun. Yeah, I, it's so funny. You, you mentioned how the girls, <laughs> their demeanor <laughs> at the conference, yes. because I already know my daughter and I, you know, I know it's not going to be something that she's, she's going to be like, Oh, you know, what right. are we, what are we going to do? What are we going to talk about? Uh, but I do think it's important. I'm glad to hear you kind of get that full spectrum of they start out this way. They end this way. Um, they leave feeling like um, they, they will leave feeling understood and advocated for, mm. which is awesome. No, that's very, very important. Yeah. Um, okay. Talk to me more about, um, is it called Athena's Path Program? Yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm actually kind of personally curious about starting some type of local group or something because I do feel like there's this huge void of information and connection there. So tell me more about that program. So Athena's Path is really how I got started. And that was 15 years ago. I was working as a tutor for kids in middle school. I had my own tutoring business. Um, and I, I was mostly hired to be an academic and organizational coach, but the, and I was working with a lot of girls because, you know, you get word of mouth referral. So like all the moms of all the girls were saying, <clears throat> hire her. And so many of the girls were talking to me about the social emotional side mm. of middle school. And that's really how this interest kind of kindled within me. Um, but the program started as a one week course. It's 25 hours long. It was a summer camp. We treat mm. it as a camp. We do games and activities. It's like a slumber party kind of vibe, but it's not a sleepover. And there are each day two leadership lessons. And the theme of the whole program is how to be a leader in your own life. So how do you, mm. 
kids this age have this idea that the leader is the loudest person in the class or the most popular person or the captain of the soccer team. And this program really reframes leadership to be all about everyone has a unique leadership style. Let's figure out what yours is and let's help you develop the skills so that you can think for yourself mm-hmm. and so that you can support other people in your community as the leader would in whatever way is to you at that age. You know, it's very different for different kids. So it's um, two lessons a day, tons of fun games. And, th- and then that grew into a program for boys, Heroes mm-hmm. Pursuit. So there's a boys camp too. And then we went from having two programs the first summer to eight programs the next summer to 10 programs. And now we have about 20 that we run each summer. And then we had schools coming and saying, we have parents who keep telling us this program was so great for their kids. Can you write a curriculum we can teach in schools? Mm. So now I sell a curriculum that people can buy and have their teachers teach it as an elective in oh, school. Um, so yeah, so there's just tons of options for people. And, and again, now we have Zoom camps. <laughs> mm-hmm. So kids can, if they're in my area, they can, which is Charlotte, North Carolina, or they can take a live camp here. If there's a person like you, and I don't know if you want to do your own thing, or, you know, mm-hmm. someone who wants to start their own Athena's Path or Heroes Pursuit program in their community, they can do that. Or you can sign up by Zoom and just mm-hmm. dial in. Yeah, I, the one thing that I would hesitate to do, take it on myself is because, um, my daughter does not respond well when I am leading. I, I tried to be a Girl Scout leader. That was a, <laughs> it was a nightmare. And one of the things you talk about in your book is like the whole concept of a proxy parent. Right. And I think uh, I have always embraced that concept. I didn't know if I knew there was a term for it, but I have, I realized from an early age that my kids would need a lot of uh, influence, a healthy influence in their lives. And it couldn't all come from me. And Um, you know, I couldn't always be that person for them. And it's important for them to have a network of other people. Talk to me about the concept of a proxy parent. And um, maybe I guess not really the pros and cons of it. But have you had any pushback from that from people to say, I don't want anybody else parenting my kid? I mean, how do how do they deal with that? I haven't, but I think it might be the way that I frame it. So in the book, I say, designate a proxy, because this is naturally the age when your Mm -hmm. child is pulling away from you and doesn't want to talk to you as much. So for example, what I did is Mm -hmm. I had a couple friends when I first gave my kids their cell phones, Mm. um, text them and say, you know, like, this is Angie, put my name and number in your phone right now. And if you ever want to text me about anything, I'm here for you. If you find yourself in a place and you're like, I don't quite know how I ended up here, but I'm not comfortable. I'll come get you. Um, So she just offered a bunch of support and Mm. was open and also did really nice things like would text my kid and say, I'm going to go to Marshall's right now. Do you want to come and invite them along on little, and I hate Marshall's. So (laughs) so I hate to shop. And my, my kids were always like, why don't you want to go shopping? And I just hate it. So it was so nice to have a friend who loved to go putter around and, and would bring my kids to do that. And so then I started doing things for her kids similarly that she didn't like to do as much, but I would write them and be like, Hey, do you have any essays you want me to look over? Like I'm mm-hmm. happy to proofread things if you don't want your mom's input on it. Cause that's what I like to do. Mm-hmm. So um, the idea is simply to pick a couple friends and to almost formalize it in the mm-hmm. sense that that friend's going to reach out to your kid. You're going to reach out. You're not going to make a big, you're not going to call it anything. So the kid doesn't become <laughs> suspicious. But they're at an age where I think they feel a sense of pride in having a friendship with an older person. And since you're picking the person, you trust them. Right, right. Yeah, that's important. And I guess you never really called it proxy parent. I think I made that up, didn't I? <laughs> Did I add parent at the moment? You added, I just say designate a proxy. Yeah. But I don't mind that concept. I mean, I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. I think it's it's quite nice and normal to have a a broader group of people helping your kid. And Mm -hmm. it's funny, Kat, this is tangentially related, but I think you might appreciate it. I was talking with someone recently who um, it's Dr. John Duffy. He's another parenting author. Mm -hmm. I need to give him credit for this idea. And we were talking about how difficult it is when we are giving a parenting talk and someone says, I just can't get my partner or my spouse on Mm -hmm. board with the way that I parent. We parent really differently. And he said, 
that's probably great because mm. if you both had the exact same response to everything, mm. one of you would be obsolete. And it's yeah. really good for your child to have different perspectives and different mm-hmm. views and different ways of getting guidance. And I think about that with my husband and myself, we mm. are, I mean, we're like really connected and we love each other very much, but we come at some stuff really differently. And I, kids. Yeah. I think that's a really important thing to, to recognize that each parent can bring something different into the equation. Um, it's really funny. My, my husband and I are very, very different people in a lot of ways. And he, <laughs> he said something the other night, he said, you're very overwhelming and I'm very underwhelming. So we balance each other out. <laughs> it's like, that's fair. Okay. That's fair. I so. think it's a, there's something adorable about saying, and I'm underwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah, you are. So <laughs> no, yes, I like that. Um, okay. So I have a few other questions that I wanted to ask you about here. Um, have you seen, have you seen any real changes in youth over the years? Because I, I feel like I always push back against this concept of youth nowadays. I'm like it's just the same. Like, I feel like it's just the same challenges it's just, they're, you know, vaping instead of smoking or whatever it is. I mean, you've been doing this work. Have you actually seen any real changes in youth over the years? I love that you asked this question because I push back on it all the time too. I think fundamentally and universally, kids are the same as they've ever been and will always be. Having said that, I think there are moments in time when critical things happen. The Great Mm -hmm. Depression is going to raise a different kind of kid than the 1980s, right? Like if you're going to work at age eight, Mm -hmm. that's pretty different kind Mm -hmm. of childhood. So I do think that there are sort of broad historic things that happen. And many people are questioning, is the pandemic one of them? Mm -hmm. I don't think it is, Mm -hmm. to be honest. I think if this went on for a long time, it could be, but one year in a person's life, I don't think it's going to be fundamental enough. What, what I actually think is that um, it will have built a resilience and a strength in our mm-hmm. kids and a creativity in them. I also always want to give the disclaimer that some kids are not safe in their homes. And so mm-hmm. for them, it may be, but I'm yeah. talking in sort of broad cultural terms here. Um, so no, I'm with you. I think that generally speaking, Adolescent development and behavior does not change much from generation to generation. Um, I know parents listening might be very concerned and skeptical about technology and Mm. whether or not that's the thing that is changing our kids for the worse. I don't think it is. Mm -hmm. Um, I think like any tool, I always say this, like any tool, um, it is helpful and harmful and no tool can be helpful without also being harmful. Like a stove that doesn't turn on won't burn your house down, but it won't cook your dinner. So, Mm -hmm. um, so technology is just the same as that. And I think, uh, you know, I can, I can hear someone saying like, but what about sending nudes? Kids never did that before. Well, okay, sure. But they would just do it in person. (laughs) Yeah. I'll show you yours. If you show me mine, what is like a common childhood thing, Mm -hmm. pre-adolescent thing, adolescent thing. So I am not concerned about the kids. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's a really important point. And um, speaking of technology, um, Mm -hmm. one of the things you mentioned in your new book, um, are you talking about uh, a parent who approached you who had, um, kind of really what I think you called it maybe spying I'm maybe spying on her kid but kind of crossed that line from how much privacy do you give your kid I have a personal story to tell about that so I had um got my daughter her first cell phone we talked about what to do what not to do felt like she had a good grasp on it but then again knowing her brain's not fully developed and she's gonna do stupid things because I did stupid things at that age and we all do but um so I, I downloaded that program Bark are you familiar with it? Okay. So I, I guess not being fully aware of how much information it would give you about what your kid's doing online. So I think there's pros and cons, but I guess not realizing that it would go and retrieve all of the deleted messages, which it, it brought us to a place of we had, a, had to have some really hard conversations 
because, um, you know, she felt embarrassed at some of the stuff I read. I felt shocked as a parent. You just, you know, you know, the stuff's out there, you know, your kid's going to, you know, say it or come across it, but then it happens. And, you know, in your mind, there's still this little infant that, you know, (laughs) you know, but it, it brought us to this point to where we had to have that really hard conversation. And I'm so glad we did. However, I chose after that point to delete that program off my <laughs> because I'm, I'm giving the thumbs up. People can't see. Uh, yeah, because, yeah. you know, it was like, I'm grateful for the knowledge. I do think it was very important. And it was like, I felt like I caught it at a time before it had gone way too far. But then I, I just realized, I was like, you know, I don't, I don't know that I need to know every jot and tittle. I just... Because, you know, my parents didn't see every note I passed back and forth to my friends in middle school. And they didn't overhear every cuss word I tried out. (laughs) So I used to play this game with a friend of mine. I wrote about it in the first book called Teachers, where we would act out skits of what our teachers were like. And I mean, (laughs) sometimes they farted. Sometimes they, you know, like just stuff. And sometimes they were like... uh, we would imagine grossly like elaborate, like this teacher's having sex with that teacher. Yeah. Like, I would have died a thousand <laughs> deaths. One of my parents had found out, you know, mm-hmm. if that was a written down skit that we were working out in yeah. seventh grade, I think it's completely normal for kids to, to um, explore and press the boundaries of mm-hmm. all of this stuff. And I think, the more we know about it and interject and control it and manage it and teach about it, the less our kids develop that internal barometer Mm. of what's right and wrong and rely on us to do that for them. So like your daughter deleted some stuff, which Mm -hmm. to me says she gets it. She knows darn well Mm -hmm. that she's not proud of that or that it it was, you know, making her feel funny in a certain way Mm -hmm. or whatever it was. And, and to me, that's enough. Like, that's what a kid that age should be trying to figure out because any parent, I don't want my kid to make mistakes like that. Mm. I don't want them to, and I specifically don't know what your child did, but um, I don't want them to make mistakes that are going to hurt someone or hurt themselves or be um, rude or too grown up or whatever it Mm -hmm. is. But that's entirely how a child learns. And Mm -hmm. we don't want shame to get Mm -hmm. mangled up in there. And I think when a parent inserts themselves over and over again, that could create a feeling of shame. Mm -hmm. But when it's just guilt, Mm -hmm. that's great. Guilt tells you to stop doing something because it feels bad. Mm -hmm. Shame tells you Mm -hmm. that you are bad. Oh, yeah. Getting feedback from a parent about stuff you I could see a child being like, I am bad. I keep mm-hmm. doing that. But to just privately and internally say, eh, this feels weird. You know, the time my friend Brooke and I found her brother's Playboys under the sink, mm. right? <laughs> and we were like, do, should we look? Do we look? And we looked and I felt sick mm-hmm. afterwards. And then was like, okay, well, now I know that like that sort of exposure paired with the sneakiness makes me feel terrible. Mm -hmm. But if my mother had then been like, let me tell you all the many reasons why what you did is so bad for you. I think I would have been like, Oh, no, I'm wrong. Something's Mm -hmm. wrong with me. And I'm certainly not saying that that you having those conversations, you can't unsee what you see. So you, you, you did that. And it sounds like you did it well, and it worked out well. But your decision to have learned from that to say, I don't need to monitor this much is brilliant parenting. Uh, well, I appreciate you saying that because it's, it's so hard to know, you know, how much to give and, and how much mm-hmm. to monitor. And then you hear that you kind of get opposite parent shame or, you know, parent shaming happens across the board. But then it's like, if something does happen to your kid, and then, then the parents are shamed, you should have known you should have been watching. And that's, I can't stand that. I can't stand that because who, okay, first of all, if something (laughs) bad happens to a kid, the very last thing we should be spending any energy on is blaming the people who feel horrible that Mm -hmm. it happened, right? So I'm Mm -hmm. very sad that societally we have, and we have moved to a point where we used to give compassion 
And now we give judgment Mm. like first Mm -hmm. things first. We didn't used to be that way. Um, You know, when baby Jessica fell in a well or when Adam Walsh's son was kidnapped, like people rallied to say, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, not like, where was the parent when the kid fell in the well? No one Mm -hmm. said that. So I think it's a real shame that we now jump to that. And I think part of it is that it feels like a way of protecting ourselves. Mm-hmm. It won't happen to me because I'll have thought 10 steps ahead at all times, mm-hmm. but life doesn't work that way. Yeah. No. And I, I, yeah, I, I could have this whole other conversation with you just about the whole shame and parenting mm-hmm. and um, how I feel like it, it's so dangerous to say that could never happen to me because just acknowledging that it could, And, you know, I think that almost um, helps you be healthier and and safer than putting it out of thought, you know, like when infants get left in cars. Right. uh, I I always feel like that could have been me. Oh, when I was like in corporate world, I had two kids under two. I was a zombie. I was exhausted. And I would like leave, run out of my office, like mid morning every day. I'd run out of my (laughs) office to go check my car, you know, like, but, you know, I, I had to. I couldn't let myself think that would never be me because I'm too good of a parent because I know there were good parents it was happening to. And anyway, so yes, um, yes, no parent, no to parent shaming. We are no parent shaming and no judging <laughs> yourself. And, and I think another really important quick thing to say on this is that you, you cannot keep bad things from happening to your child. There's absolutely zero way to keep that from mm-hmm. happening. What I hope the book does for people is Um, it teaches them how to keep the door open. So when Mm. something bad does happen to your kid, they know you're a safe person to come and talk to. Mm -hmm. So that's really, for me, that's the point of parenting is to be a safe resource so that my child never feels so lonely, so hurt, so sad, so confused or angry that they feel like they can't come to me. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, you said something um, like, uh, what was it? Kids have to earn their own wisdom. Yes. That was huge. So yes, I think every parent just put that up, frame it, just (laughs) (laughs) maybe even use it with your kids. Like you are earning your own wisdom. That's right right now. So that's right. right. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love that. Okay. So I got a couple more questions for you here. Um, I have always struggled with chores, chore charts, kids helping around in the house. I either vacillate from, I just get up and yell at everybody, everybody clean the house to, I don't ask anybody to do anything. And it's not good. It's, it's terrible. Okay. Give me your parenting expert. I don't know. Do you like to be called a parenting expert? Or- <laughs> <laughs> I used to hate it. And now I've come around to it. <laughs> okay. So how important is it for kids to have regular responsibilities should they get paid for? I'm, I mean, I know this is kind of going outside of where the book was, but it, it's, it's just something I feel like my kid is approaching uh, the teenage years and I still had, it, and it, you know, she's got some different challenges too with being autistic, but um, in, in child development in general, how important is that for them? For kids to feel like they are part of the team and making a contribution to the team and I don't think you have to ask for that to be super meaningful to you, but it should feel meaningful to them. So in other words, you may be like, I, uh, for this to be helpful, the bathroom has to be cleaned the right way and you know, blah, blah, blah. But really, I think what's more important is that your kid is developing incrementally the, um, the feeling of respect that they mm. get when they contribute to the team. That's such a good feeling to have. And so I would say start small and incrementally and focus on something that your child does really well. So if your mm. child is a great artist, and I know that one of your kids is, right? <laughs> yeah. But maybe their job is to um, create the holiday decorations. Mm. Or, you know, if you want something that is more regular, maybe they design the menu for the week Mm -hmm. so that you have a good sense of like what you're serving on each day. Maybe you're not that kind of family, but there must be some way to incorporate art into a way that they can give back Mm -hmm. to family that that is meaningful to them. And I'd worry less about whether it's meaningful to you. Mm 
I also think they need to develop skills incrementally. And so it's nice for them to learn how to load a dishwasher and how to scrub a toilet and things like that. But I'm really careful not to worry too much about how good of a job they're doing early on. Mm. Um, Kids respond much better and learn much better when they feel praised Mm. and when they feel criticized. So if my kid did a half-assed job cleaning the bathroom, I think I'd be like, um, you know, I'm so appreciative that you spent the time to do this. And as you continue to do this, you're going to get faster and you're going to learn more tricks for how to do things a little bit better. But we're off to a great start here. And then maybe little by little, you can tweak it along the way. Um, I'm not a big fan of chore charts because it feels like work to me. I don't like that. (laughs) but I think I would just say, I know with my kids, one thing that I did was um, I, I wanted them to do something for the family for a mere 10 minutes a day that didn't have any benefit to them, but was beneficial to the family as a whole. That could be like, Mm. go around and make sure that there's toilet paper in every bathroom or um, clean up the cords that are, you know, by the Xbox station. So we don't trip on them or walk a dog or I don't care what it is, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to know that they were doing something for the benefit of the group. That wasn't just about them. Okay. That's really important. And I'm glad to hear you say that you feel like tour charts are just more work for you because that's (laughs) exactly, I always end up feeling, and I'm like, Oh, this is so pointless. So, right. (laughs) Okay. Um, any words of wisdom for parents who feel like, all of this is too late. Like mm-hmm. their kids are a little bit older or they're on their third child who's getting ready to enter this age. And maybe they feel like oh, I've been down here. I know this stuff matters. What are your words of wisdom? All right. Two things. One is if your child is past middle school, but you're thinking, well, I like this lady's ideas and concepts. <laughs> the book follows a methodology that is useful. It's a, it's called the brief model. It's a five-step process for how to have better conversations. And you can use it with your older kids. You can use it with your spouse. You can use it with your mother-in-law or your coworkers. So there is value in learning the steps, no matter your child's age. The chapter concepts are relevant all the way through high school and beyond because they're large themes like how to retain creativity in your life, how to explore independence in your life, what to do when your friendships change. The part that is really specific to middle school are the specific examples and scripts are written to a middle schooler's Mm -hmm. age level. So you may read those as a parent of an older child and be like, okay, yeah, like my kid's not going to respond this way, or this is a little bit below us, but the concepts uh, are completely relevant all the way through high school. Mm -hmm. And then for the parent who's like, I just don't know, we're pretty entrenched in the way we do things. (laughs) And I don't know if we can make a change. What I will say is this, when your child enters middle school, that is the natural time for them to reinvent themselves. Mm. Neurologically, biology, biologically, they are going through so many changes that you making a change to the way you communicate will not strike them as weird mm. because everything else is changing for them at this time. So it's actually the perfect opportunity to try something new. Mm. Yeah. I'm really glad to hear you say that. And I, I agree you know, um, as far as I got into the book, I haven't been able to finish it yet, but um, I definitely felt, I definitely felt like, wow, this is so applicable to just everyday life. And I understand you have to, you're marketing it to middle school families. Well, I hope everybody reads it because I think it's, uh, I even thought about how we engage online with people and have conversations. Um, I thought, Ooh, yes. So, I mean, even myself included that sometimes I'm, I don't, um, start conversations that well. I, like you said, you just jump into the pool and then everybody else jumps out. I'm like, yeah, right. uh, that's me sometimes. So, <laughs> you know, just go, it's just going to go there. Okay. So we got two more questions for you that I like to ask all my guests. Okay. Um, the first one is I'm going to ask you for, I call it the unsolicited lift. So is there an organization or a person or a cause that you want to give a shout out to that you feel like needs some love that maybe it's been a blessing to you or you feel like it's just really important. This is the nicest thing ever. <laughs> I want to do you. Oh. But, <laughs> so 
I'm going to just quickly say that you are one of the best writers I've Aww. ever read. And, and I've read your stuff, you know, a little bit more formally, but even just on Facebook, like you're smart as a whip. And I love seeing how you think about things. So, um, so you are one. And then my other one who I really love is Rosie Molinari. Mm. Rosie has written a couple books. She wrote um, Beautiful You, which is a daily guide to radical self-acceptance. Wow. And she is a ray of love and sunshine who teaches mostly women how to um, get over themselves and just mm. really be happier and full of joy in their lives. And that sounds very corny. She's very <laughs> down to earth and funny and sharp. And so you're not going to get schmaltz with nothing behind mm-hmm. it. But I love Rosie Molinari. Was she on your book launch with you? Yes. Oh, okay. She's the woman who asked me questions at my book. Oh, launch. yeah. I really liked her. Maybe I'll have to have her on as a podcast guest as well, because I really you liked should. her. You should. Yeah, should. I love that. Yep. Okay. One more question, and it's a fun one. And I feel like you're going to have an answer right away or several answers, because I know you and your love for pop culture and all this. So um, you're okay. You're a keynote speaker at a conference. You're coming out on stage. What is your hype song? Oh, what is my hype song? (laughs) Okay, I'm a big um, country music fan. This, my friends, is proof that you don't really know someone based on social media alone. So Michelle and I really only know each other online. And I think it's safe to say we feel like we know each other well. We've known each other for years and... Um, have shared, you know, personal stories with each other. However, I was completely shocked when she said this because I've never seen her post anything on social media about country music. She probably has. I just haven't seen it. So anyways, I thought this was kind of hilarious that it just threw me for a loop. And it's awesome. And I, and I really love um, like Miranda Lambert. So mm. I, I might like to say like hell on heels or something. Nice. Yeah. I love that. I, I had no idea that you were a big country music fan. I love that. Huge. Yes. Ah, I did. You, I actually got to meet her one time. You did. I did very briefly. I shook her hand. She had a very dainty little hand. <laughs> ah, did you picture her to have like a bigger hand? No, I just hope she had a firm handshake. Was it oh. firm or was it fishy? Um, Kind of in between. I don't know, but I don't she plays know. guitar. I want her to have a firm, like, <laughs> yeah, I know. So, but that, but then again, it, that feels like a whole different universe where we used to shake hands. That seems like a weird thing to do. Like, can we not go back to that? Or do you I, like handshakes? Um, I, I'm fine with not going back to it because I do think it's probably a really big germ spreader. I like a handshake. I mm. like a hug. I'm a very mm. like, if I just meet you, I would love to give you a hug. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably not going to be the case going forward. <laughs> Although us huggers are going <laughs> to gonna try. I'm a, I'm a hugger. Yeah. Have you ever yeah. give, given someone a hug who's not a hugger and it was super awkward? I usually ask oh, now yeah. because I probably have that awkward moment, but I'll mm-hmm. just say I'm a hugger. And then they'll be like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, or we don't have to. <laughs> I'll just hug myself over here. Just um, wrap my arms around myself. I don't want to say hell on heels anymore because it's too slow of a song. Oh, okay. Maybe mama's broken heart. Okay. Okay. Do you have a hype song? Uh, yeah, I do. Well, mine are kind of funny. So mine might be like lose yourself Eminem. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Cause I'm a rapper in my head. Nice. Um, I like thunder by imagine dragons kind of one that gets me hyped up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's um, so I'm going to put all these together in a Spotify playlist yes. and it's, it's been really it's been really interesting. There's some songs I've learned about. I didn't know about. And, um, cause music, music really can help me get me in the right kind of mood. And I just love, yeah. love knowing kind of more about people's personality. more about right. their So would you be wearing boots? I'm picturing you in fancy boots now. Uh, I'm not going to wear cowboy boots. I am okay. going to wear like, a. so I have bad feet, which is oh. hard to be a badass with bad feet. <laughs> I would wear like a leopard kitten heel and leather pants. <laughs> Um, okay, I want that to be the poll quote from this podcast. It's hard to be a badass with bad feet. Go ahead. Hey, I have my badass necklace on. I need to get you one. Yes, that's awesome. So I use I that one all the time. It goes with my braces. <laughs> when did you get braces? About six months ago. 
I never see them. I guess you do a closed mouth smile. Yeah, probably. I often so. do too. Cause I feel like I look very toothy in a smile. So my normal oh. smile is like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Thank you so much. I, we, I know there's so much more we could talk about, but I'm I happy pers- to have heard your voice. Oh, <laughs> yours too. So, and I'm happy to know how to pronounce your last name. So, <laughs> all right. Take care. Okay. Thanks, Kat. Bye. Bye. It was really fun to reflect back on this conversation a month and a half later. And um, although I wish I had been able to publish it in a more timely manner, right when her book was launching. Um, I think, you know, it's just, it's just never too late. It's never too late to talk about parenting and it's never too late to reconsider um, the way you are communicating with your children, uh, whether they are still infants or they are middle schoolers or they're grown adults. Um, I think it's just something we tend to move away from the older our children get and hopefully we can normalize just talking about parenting as our children age and the, and the struggles that we're having. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation that I had with Michelle. Um, she is just a really wonderful person and just a wealth of knowledge on those precious middle school years. So I definitely hope that you will check out her book and, um, Check out all the wonderful events and online curriculum she offers. Again, her website is michelleicard.com, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-I-C-A-R-D.com. Or you can find her on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. You can find this episode's show notes at catpoland.com and connect with me on Facebook, Cat Poland Author and Storyteller, or Twitter or Instagram at Cat Poland. Thank you so much for listening today, and I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. You're notified when new episodes come out, and as always, reviews are appreciated. <laughs>